we're excited, church. It's been seven years, and uh, we're not stopping. We're not slowing down. Actually, uh, I think what we're going to talk about today, you're going to actually realize that uh, the truth is we are are going to be shifting gears moving forward um, because we're we're entering a little bit of a paradigm shift, and that's actually what I want to talk about today. Is is that's what we're going to be ministering on? It's this paradigm shift that we're in. But before we do, let's go ahead and. Um, bow our head as we come to the word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Father, we thank you that we can still come together and spend time in your word. Even though we're apart, we are still together. And Father, I thank you that today you would give me the words to speak, that it would be an encouragement to everyone who listens. And Father, I pray that your word would go out and accomplish what you intended to accomplish in everyone who hears it this morning. Father, we lift up every life-giving church across the city today as they're doing their morning services and streaming. Father, I pray that there would just be an outpouring of your spirit all across this city and across this country and even the entire world, Father, that there would be salvations today, there would be people rededicating their life to you, and Father, just move and minister among your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hallelujah. So before we get started, I do want to uh, say that there are some benefits to being up here in the loft. One, I got this nice table here that if I'm careful and I cross my arms a little bit, I can hide my gut a little bit. So I look a little bit thinner. I like it. And uh, also, uh, a couple weeks ago, I did a video where I was wearing shorts and uh, somebody was a little upset how white my legs were. Well, the good news is I'm wearing shorts right now and you can't see my legs. So you're protected. And finally, last week, I heard that there was somebody who didn't like my rocking back and forth in the chair because it was giving them a little bit of motion sickness. So uh, I am on a stool today. No more rocking. So uh, hopefully everything is going good this morning. So today I want to minister to you on, uh, I've entitled the message Paradigm Shift. And if you guys don't know what a paradigm is, a paradigm is actually uh, uh, something that just serves as a model. It's a pattern for something. And uh, you may not have noticed this, but our lives are kind of changing around us in a whirlwind right now. And uh, church is certainly looking differently right now. I would have never thought that I would be doing church from my, like I said, from my, my, my house again. Um, but uh, it actually is, is looking different right now. Church is looking different. And our model or pattern of what the church looks like is going to happen have to change. We have to have a, a, a paradigm shift. And it looks like um, we're going to be doing it from here for at least the next couple of weeks, at least till April 10th. We've had uh, Pima County board vote and and say that no getting together till, till the 10th. And uh, actually now they're being more serious about it. There's civil penalties. Um, they're assessing fines if people are getting together when they're not supposed to be, if they're not on that list of approved um, uh, businesses from the governor. And uh, so, yeah, it looks like we're going to be doing this at least for another couple of weeks. So, but I'm wondering if this isn't a good thing now because it's causing us to have to adapt. It's causing us to to get out between the from behind the four walls that we were in before. And the truth is, is it's causing us to try new things. Um, our services are being streamed now. It's something I always wanted to do, but just didn't have the time. It was on our on our schedule in the future, but uh, we quickly had to adapt and add them. Um, our Bible studies now are we're able to do where people can call in either through their computer, their mobile phone, or just a regular landline. They can call in and be a part of our Bible study. 
Um, we've Im- implemented kind of some new initiatives as well. We just created the new Facebook group to get that going again so that uh, we always have a place where we can, mu- can communicate with one another as a church and help each other out during this this time of need. And also we've created new new uh, web pages to, one, allow people to watch the service live. We've created the web page where people can come and get help if they need it. And uh, what I began to think about and what I was starting to think was, was strange or, or weird was that the needs of our congregation haven't really changed. The community hasn't really changed. Now, it's true that the volume is increasing. Um, people need more help now. But we've always needed easier ways to communicate with one another. We've always needed more options to get together for Bible studies and stuff, even when you couldn't be there. We've always needed to be reaching out into our community uh, more than we ever have before. Because there's always been those in our community that needed help. And the reality is, is our resources as a church haven't changed. The The truth is, is that it's likely as we move forward, our resources as a church are going to decrease. We're not going to have the, the resources we had before. Um, but I know God is faithful and he's going to provide through all of this. So the question is, if the needs of the community and the needs of the congregation hasn't changed, what has changed? And the reality is, it's just how we look at things. We've had to to make a, a mental shift, realizing that what we thought was important maybe just isn't that important. Because the thing is, is that when a real threat is looming, all the stuff that we used to take and think was important just doesn't carry the weight that it used to. And I think that our viewport, our viewport, our viewpoint matters when we're looking at things. Because depending on where you're coming from, things can look different. And let me give you just a silly example. So uh, a dog that we used to have for the longest time, her name was Mocha. She was a little miniature pincher and a Boston Terrier mix. And she only stood about this tall. She uh, She was a little dog. And then we got Bruno. And Bruno... Um, for those of you who saw him on the stream last week, he's a a uh, boxer mix, and uh, he's about twice her size. He's a much bigger dog. So we, we always would say, yeah, we got ourselves a big dog now. And then one time, I went over to Monique and John's house and brought Bruno, and they have uh, English Mastiffs, I believe is what they are. Some sort of Mastiff. And those things are like the size of horses. They're huge. And I realized that Bruno's not really a big dog. It was all about perspective and my viewpoint. And I think that's what's happening right now. Things have been so good in the United States. Things have been so good in the church that we have chosen to focus on these little things to get upset about. You see it in colleges. You see it across the nation. And I don't have to mention these things. You know that people are, are complaining and up in arms and, and mobilizing on a political level for stuff that's just not that important. And all of a sudden now our viewpoint changes and our perspective changes. And that stuff that we thought was important really isn't that important when you have people that are out of work and they don't have, uh, they, they're, they're worried about food or they're, they're, they're worried about paying their rent. All of a sudden they're worried about dying because there's a virus that is, uh, for all accounts that we can tell, is rather deadly. Just ravaging not just our country but our world. All of a sudden when your, your viewpoint changes... What's important, what used to be important, just isn't anymore. 
And the truth is, I think that we are reaching a pivotal point for our country, but more importantly, we're reaching a pivotal point for the church, not just our church, uh, uh, not just our church locally, but I think uh, corporately, globally, that the church at large is reaching a pivot point, or at least it should be, because I think this is a wake-up call. I believe that God is using this pandemic to get the church outside of its walls, getting us to look farther abroad than we ever have before. So the question is, I think that we have to ask ourselves is, do we let this paradigm shift that we're experiencing right now last just for the duration that we're outside of our church building just a few weeks when we get back in our building and we will. And I'm excited about that. Do we get back in there and do we just hole up inside of our four walls again? Or do we let this paradigm shift, this new viewpoint, this new way of thinking cause us to grow and mature and just be the church that God always intended us to be? The truth is we are going to have services in our building once again. That's This will all pass at one point. But where are we going to be? What are we going to do? And I think... That when we get back in that church, we need to do everything that we can to ensure that our vision doesn't get blocked by those four walls again. Amen. Somebody type "Amen" in the chat if you're agree- in the chat in the chat in the comments if you're agreeing with me. Hallelujah. So I want to take a look at at uh, what happened in 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 the uh, the church in the Book of Acts because I think that that I see some parallels to what happened there to what's going on right now. So let's turn in our Bible to. Acts uh, chapter 1, we're going to read verses 6 through 8. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So if you remember... This conversation is happening after Jesus was crucified, but he had not yet ascended to heaven. He had actually been with them ministering to the apostles and the disciples for for 40 days. And he's been ministering to them about the kingdom of God and what's to come. And when it's all said and done, he's, this, is, this is at the end of that time period, they finally ask him, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Are you now going to bring it back? Because I, I think that something still hadn't quite clicked for the disciples and the apostles at this point yet. They're still thinking that Jesus is going to be this political and military leader that's going to save them from the oppression of Rome and pull them out of it. And they they just hadn't quite had the full paradigm shift quite quite yet. And they're 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 going to see it and you're going to see that it was it's it's going to change as we go through the book of Acts, but right now how they thought it was supposed to be happening wasn't happening. But Jesus tells them that, you know what, you're going to be, you're going to receive power to be my witness. And he says, you're going to be my witness in Jerusalem. And that's their their local community, their local city. You know, and we're all called to that. We're all called to be witnesses in Marana and in the, in the city of Tucson, our local city here. But then he says also to Judea and Sumeria. And that's like their, their local region. You can think of that like our, our, our state or our country, if you like. That's, that's getting outside of our city and being witnesses elsewhere. And then you'll also remember in, in uh, Matthew twenty eight nineteen, he told him to make disciples of all nations. And that ties quite well with the end of this, where he says that you're going to go to the ends 
of the earth. The command was to make disciples, to minister, to preach the gospel, not just in their home city, but to their, to their, their geographic area, their region, and also to the entire world. And then after Jesus charges them with this, he ascends to heaven. But if you have read any of the book of Acts, and I know that you have, you'll notice something. They actually didn't leave Jerusalem. The church just kind of holes up in Jerusalem. And they stayed there, and they were only ministering uh, to that city. Now, here's the thing, though. It's not that bad things were happening. They're preaching. People are getting saved. People are getting added to the church. Amazing things are happening in the city of Jerusalem. And, and the church is doing good things. They're growing like crazy. But they weren't doing all that they were supposed to do. So it's not that they were doing bad. They just weren't doing everything that they had been told to do, which was to reach outside of just Jerusalem. They were supposed to go outside of their local area. And as I look at the church, I I think, particularly our church, I think we have a little bit of that going on. And I can't imagine that we're unique as a church. Now, we have some good things happening at the church right now. We're seeing it grow. We're seeing more people visit than we've ever had before. People are coming and being a part of what we're doing. We're actually increasing our outreach into the local community. We just started doing that monthly food outreach um, and, and we are, are trying to move and be more outward focused, albeit we're doing it with, with uh, uh, not quite the participation that I would like to see from the church. But we are making inroads in that direction. And we've always done stuff like trying to improve the quality of our service because we want to make sure that everything that we've done is to a high level of excellence so that somebody can't ever say, oh, I'm not going back to that church because the, the music was awful or the, the place was terrible. It looked awful. We, we want to remove every excuse for people to, to not coming back and be a part of what we're doing. And I think we were heading in the right direction, but just like the church in the book of Acts we should have been more often looking past our four walls. And the truth is, when I think about this, you know, to, to, in, in some ways, almost to my shame, there have been so many times that people have reached out, but I've been so concerned about our resources, about what we have, that I've always tried to be frugal with what we're doing at the church. And if somebody wasn't a part of our church, many times if they called and, and, and asked for help, the best I could do was get them in touch with other people because I felt like we didn't have the resources to do what I wanted to do. My heart was that I wanted to do it, but my, my brain, the logical thinking part of me said, this isn't something we can do. And, and uh, I think that what's going on right now is going to cause us to think differently. And I know it's causing me to think differently And like I said earlier, our resources haven't changed, but we're going to pour into this community, even if it means we give up everything that we have. Because the people are more important than the building or the stuff that we have. Our viewpoint has to change. And we're going to see that it actually does in the the book, the church in the book of Acts as well. So let's turn to Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. He's speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So we start to see something happen. The church, they're holed up in Jerusalem. But they start to feel some pretty intense persecution. And if you read just before this, what's happening is is that Stephen 
who, if you remember, was one of the ones chosen to to help serve the widows. Now he's out preaching the gospel. He's making an impact. He's he's graduated from just from helping, and he's maturing and growing. And he gets out there and he's preaching the gospel with power and signs and miracles. And he had just given an crazy uh, an incredible defense of the gospel. And right after they're doing it, they stone him to death. And that's where we are here in in, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Saul approved of his execution. But after that execution, after that persecution of Stephen, on that day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. See, from that day forward, persecution rises up against the church in Jerusalem. And it's so great that it says that the Christians are having to flee. They're, they're heading out to Judea and Samaria, which is interesting because isn't that where Jesus told them to go be witnesses? Except for the apostles. The apostles stay back in Jerusalem, but the church is just scattering. It's, it's heading outside of their city. And I want to make it clear that I don't think God was going in there and and making these people persecute the church. This wasn't something that God was forcing them to do. The truth is is that we have free will to make our own decisions. God doesn't make us do anything. And I don't think God was making them do anything either. But the truth is, is there was these people that were persecuting the church, and God used that to accomplish his purpose. He used that to get them out of Jerusalem. He used that to to have the gospel preached throughout the entire region. And as we know, the the long-term effect of that is the gospel has been preached in the entire world. There are Christians in every nation that I'm aware of. And I think we're starting to see some parallels in today's church because we've gotten really good on putting on a Sunday service. But when the Sunday service goes away, because we can't go into our buildings. Now we have to look at other options, other ways to reach people. And that's what's happening now. We're trying out new technologies to make it even easier for people to reach the gospel. We are increasing our availability to the community for those who need help. All because this virus popped up. And just like I don't think God, you know, or treated those people as as, mar- as a marionette uh, a master, as those were puppets making them persecute the church. I don't think God created this virus either. We live in a fallen world, a broken world, and that's where this stuff comes from. And I, I think I'm not 100% sure, but either next week or the following week, I think I'm going to do a message talking about what this virus is. Is this some sort of judgment or punishment from God? But I don't believe it is. Um, but I do believe that God knew it was coming, and he's using it to mobilize his church, to get it moving, to get it thinking past the four walls. There was more word preached on the internet last Sunday, and and even more so this Sunday, because of this. The word is going out into places we never ever thought it could reach. I want to tell you something that I thought was amazing. We have, I would say, about 70 people in our church. On any given Sunday, we have a little over 50 that will come in uh, to the service on a Sunday morning. Last week we were looking at the numbers and our live stream and part of that's because you guys are so active on it. I don't know if you guys know this, but when you're commenting, when you're talking to one another, it actually tells Facebook that this is important and it shares it with more people, but it put our live stream video on 1250 plus people's um uh walls 
on Sunday. This is just Facebook. It got in front of 1,250 people. We had over 350 people at least start to view the message last week. I don't know if you get what a great, how much greater the reach was because we're doing it this way. Then I mean, we reached more people last week because we did a live stream than we, than we ever would have being stuck inside of our four walls. More people saw the word preached last week. And I would, I would, I would venture to say that last week and this Sunday, more people are, are, are seeing and having access to the word than ever before. All because we had to get outside of our four walls. All because we had to rethink how we're ministering to people, how we're sharing with people. All because this virus, which I'm sure the devil meant for harm. I know the devil means it for harm, but God is taking it and still using it for good to to advance his kingdom. Not that he created it, but he certainly is using it. And you'll see that the same thing happened with the, the, uh, the, the church in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, they had just had the persecuting going, and now they're scattered. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was much joy in that city. You know, this never would have happened had they just stayed in Jerusalem. So he, Philip, now he's, he's, he's headed to Samaria, what God, or for what the devil meant for evil, God used for good. And, and Philip has an amazing story. If you have, actually haven't looked into it, Philip starts as a guy, uh, just like Stephen, just serving um, serving the, the widows. He gets picked out to help serve. And then the next thing you know, we see he's preaching the word of God with power. He's, he is, uh, finds himself in Samaria. He's preaching up a storm. People are getting healed. We're going to have uh, demons being cast out. Miracles are happening. Most importantly, people are being saved. And then if you read further, he's actually referred to as Philip the Evangelist later on. This guy has an incredible story of, of being promoted and moving up through the ranks uh, in the kingdom of God, all because he was faithful. He was faithful when he was serving the widows. He's faithful when he's preaching the word, and he continues to be faithful, and God continues to use him. But he, he arrives, and he starts preaching the gospel. All these amazing things happening. All of a sudden, it says there was much joy in that city. Now, I imagine when the devil uh, sent this persecution against the church, he thought he had him. But what happened was the very act that was intended to kill the church was actually what caused it to grow. And I think what's happening right now in our, uh, with this virus, I think, is, is what could harm the church, I think, is actually going to help the church grow because, we're, like I said, we're reaching people that we've never reached before. And right now, even uh, personally, uh, as Living Hope Family Church Piranha, our church, we're doing more than we ever have before. Because our thinking has shifted, our paradigm has shifted, that model or pattern that we used to follow has to change. And I tell you what, this is a good thing, even though it sometimes doesn't feel like it. This is a good thing for the church. And I am excited for the opportunity that is currently being presented to us. And it's going to continue to be presented to us, not just for us, but for the church as a whole. I think we're going to see the gospel make more impact in the coming months than it has in a long time. 
Acts 11, 19 through 21, we see that Philip's not the only one and says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now we're getting out of, out of, uh, out of, out of Jerusalem. We're hitting more and more cities. It says they were speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They were persecuted. They were scattered but the hand of the Lord was still with them. This is just another example of how their model of church, their paradigm of what church was, had to change, and it caused an increase in the church. People were getting saved because sometimes we have to get pushed out of our comfort zones to get more accomplished. Pastor Jerome, you just heard from him in that video encouraging us in our seven-year anniversary. He uh, uh, he was telling me a story recently about one of his guys were walking down the streets there in New York, and uh, they saw some boys and the guy walked up to him and, and he always said to him was, how do you guys feel about this coronavirus? And they told him, he said, you know, we're actually, we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to die. And, um, and if anybody's got a right to be scared, it's, it's the people of New York, New York's New York, the state of New York, uh, most of it in New York city accounts for almost half of every um, case of coronavirus in the United States. There's some, uh, when I looked yesterday, there was over 50,000 people had been infected. So these boys, they're, they're scared. They're afraid that this is going to, they're going to catch it and it's going to kill them. And because of that, he had the opportunity to share the gospel with them and tell them that there was a God who loved them and cared about them and that death wasn't the end. And they got saved and when he was done, he asked them, are you still afraid to die? And they said, no. Oh, because Jesus was shared with them. Now their paradigm had shifted. Their model was that you get sick and you die and that's all there is. But now they learned that there is something more. And that even if you get sick and you die, then you go and spend eternity with Jesus. That this time on earth is just a blip in the, the radar of eternity. Now they know that death is actually just the beginning and they have eternal life. And now instead of fear, they have hope. And this is causing other families in our community, we're seeing it now to lose hope as well because we're starting to see people are losing their jobs. They're running out of food. They're running out of money, running out of basic household items. We're starting to see requests for help coming, come in. And, and I'm so excited because we have the opportunity to be a blessing to them. We get to show them that all isn't lost and that God loves them. We get to be the church that it was in that we get to be the church that we were intended to be looking past our four walls. Because the truth is we don't even get to use those four walls right now. And we have a responsibility to give guidance as we come and meet people. In Acts 28, 26-31, it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said, to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Church, we have another opportunity that we can't waste. 
In this story, this Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading the word of God and he couldn't understand it. He wasn't quite following it. He needed help. He needed guidance. And he tells Philip this, how can I understand it if there's no one there to guide me? And that's the thing right now. There are so many people that are walking around that have a false view of what the gospel is. They have a misunderstood understood view of who Jesus is and who God is because they, they, they don't understand his love or his provision or that he cares about them because their their understanding is based on false myths and legends that are they learned about on tv or all these other things and there's just a, a misunderstanding they don't know who god is and that he really loves them and they don't understand why this is happening right now they don't understand why that the that this virus is going and and, and so many people are dying and many people are probably wondering how could God let this happen and why is this happening and if there was a God this wouldn't be happening and they don't have the answers but church we we have the answers they don't have hope but church we have hope and we can guide them towards a love of God we can guide them towards salvation so that they have a hope and they're no longer in despair and so that they can have that peace that surpasses all understanding And what I don't mean by this is we're to go and tell them that everything's going to be perfect because this isn't true. The truth is, as Christians, we go through struggles, we go through trials, we go through tribulations. Christians get persecuted. Christians go through tough times. But the difference is, is we don't go it alone. We don't go go it without uh, a hope. We don't go go at it knowing that, that, that we're alone. But God is with us. And our trust is in the Lord to get us through any situation, no matter how bad it is, because we know that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. No matter how bad it gets, he is still there with us. And even if worse comes to worse, and for whatever reason that we die, we know that it's not the end, but it's just the beginning, because the word says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're not afraid to die. Because we know that's where we're going. And that's something that we can share with everybody. Because some people don't have that hope. They think death is the end. But we can share them and guide them into the same hope and peace that we have by sharing with them the gospel. And leading them to Christ. Sharing the gospel is just that Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins. And he paid the penalty for your sins. And all we have to do is repent and put our trust in him for salvation. And we receive it by faith and not by works. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Anybody can understand the gospel and we can share it with people and let them know that they don't have to go it alone. That God actually does love them. We can explain to them that we live in a fallen world. That's why stuff like this happens. And it's not because God hates us. But the truth is, he is there with us and he loves us. And we can we can guide people into that. That's our responsibility as the church. And we have more opportunities now than ever because when people are hurting, when people are down, when they're low, that's when they're looking for truth. That's when they're looking for hope. That's when they actually start reaching out to God. And we have an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with them and help uh, help realign any false narratives or false ideas and that they have in their head. And we're going to go ahead and end here today because the truth is, is that We might be here for such a time as this. 
Esther 4.13-14 says this, And Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourselves that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther was a Jew, and uh, she lived among the exiles in Persia. And she actually, if you know the story, it's a, it's a great story to read. As she actually ends up becoming the queen of the empire in about 480 BC. And now there's this guy named Haman. He's a, a Persian official, and he he attempts to eradicate the Jews. And he does this because it's actually one of the most selfish people you'll ever read about. He does this because he gets um, promoted. And because of this, the king says that everyone has to bow down and pay homage to to Haman. And what happens is, is Mordecai, who ends up being, who is actually Esther's cousin, uh, he's a Jew, and, and he doesn't bow down to Haman because he reserves his worship for the Lord. And uh, so Haman gets all butthurt. He gets all upset and says, this guy won't bow down to me. But it's not enough for him to just go after Mordecai. He says, because this guy won't bow down to me, I'm going to eradicate the entire Jewish population here in, in Persia. So he goes and tells the kings that the Jews ignore the laws of the king and they do whatever they want and they should be destroyed. And it sets this plot in motion. And Mordecai hears this and uh, he's upset uh, naturally. And he goes and he gets a hold of Esther, who is at this point the queen. She is in the in the palace. He gets a hold of her and he says, hey, look, um, don't think yourself just because you're in the king's palace that you are free uh, from being destroyed. Because here's the thing. She was in a unique position because she was in the palace and she could have the ear of the king and she was a Jew. So she could plead for her people to the king. And if you if you know the story, you know that that's exactly what happens. She gets the king to to uh, save her people. And ultimately, it's it's Haman that gets 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 hung on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Hanan, Hanan gets killed and the Jews are saved. Mordecai told her, he says, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Because she was afraid she didn't want to do it. And Mordecai said, but look, you're here. And who knows if this wasn't what you were put here for. And the truth is, church, things have changed around us. But God knew this was going to happen. And the question I have to ask myself and ask each and every one of you, who knows, maybe this is why you were put here for such a time as this. So are we going to maintain this paradigm shift Are we going to, when we all get to go back to church in a few weeks, is everything going to change? And we're going to go back to the way it was, the status quo, or are we going to let this shift in our thinking stay with us? Will our paradigm be permanently shifted? Will our eyes be focused more permanently outward? And will we continue being there for our community and for one another more so than we've ever been? Like I said, we, we were already doing it a little bit, but this has caused us to kick it into kick it into fifth gear. And I want to stay there. And I pray that when this is all said and done, that's the attitude that we have at church, both corporately and both individually as the members of this church. That's what I pray, is that this isn't a temporary moment, but this is something that changes who we are and how we do church going forward. Amen. Well, praise God. We're going to go ahead and... Uh, Take a moment now, if if uh, if you would, just go ahead and bow your head and pray with me.
Um, if you are already a Christian, I would ask you to pray right now to yourself and that just the people would get saved, that they would hear the gospel message and that they would respond. If you're not a Christian right now and you're listening to this message, I want you to know that God loves you. We are, are in a difficult time right now. And I'm not going to lie to you and say that if you become a Christian, that it's all going to go away, that you'll never get sick, you'll never get hurt, you'll never experience pain, you'll never have tough times, because that's just not true. We live in a fallen world with an enemy that's always trying to attack us. But I do promise you this, is that God loves you more than you can ever imagine, so much so that he sent his son to give his life on the cross to pay for all of your sins, to pay for all of your failures. Everything that you've ever done that would make you not right with God, Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for that so that you could be right with him. And I want you to know that he loves you so much and the only thing that you have to do to receive this free gift of salvation is to repent from your sins, to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. What that means is you turn your back from the old you and you put your eyes on Jesus and you trust in him. You call him your Lord and your Savior and you re- you just receive by faith, by trust, this free gift of salvation. So if there's anybody out there today that's watching this and they're, they're not born again and they, they uh, you would like to be, if you would like to be saved, if you would like to be right with God, I just want you to go ahead and, and pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father... Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for payment of my sins. And because he did that, I am, I am now right with you. I thank you that he paid for every failure or mistake, every sin that I've ever committed. And I can look at you right now with a clean conscience, knowing that I have been made brand new. And I call you right now, my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know that that prayer itself isn't what saves you. Saying the words doesn't do anything. It's just a way of expressing it. But it's the attitude of your heart. If you said that prayer and you truly meant it, you truly believed it, then you're saved. Right now, you are born again. A miracle just took place inside of you. And you were made brand new in that moment. And you are right with God. If that was you this morning, I would encourage you to put it in one of the comments. Say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. And uh, we have people that are watching. They want to pray with you. They want to congratulate you. And uh, uh, just let us know so that we can reach out to you and we can pray with you. Uh, otherwise, church, we're going to go ahead and get ready to close it up here. But uh, real quick, before we get off, I want everybody in the chat to go ahead and say hi. Because... What happens is, is last week I tried to go through all the comments and there was way too many of them. And I want to say hi to everybody who's on the stream right now. So go ahead and say hi now. Hi now. And as they pop up, as they start showing up on the screen here, I'm going to go ahead and say hi. And and, uh, I see Jen is on and I know my wife is over at Jen's house. So hi, Jen. And I think Jose took the day off. So hi, Jose and my lovely wife over there. Um, Hi, Patricia. I see that you're on. We have uh, Abigail is on. So hi, Abby. And I know you have some people with you as well. Um, Hi, Monique and your family over there. Uh, And we have uh, uh, Toby and Tasha and the whole family over there. Hi, hi, uh, Ronnie and and Amanda and everybody over there, Fox and Grace. And and I think I missed some people, but hi to everybody in that family. 
Hi Anina. I saw that Anina changed her name or at least got a new account on uh, on YouTube, so she's no longer uh, Loogie Lover. She now has is on there by her name, but uh, she'll always be known to Loogie Lover to all of us that are closest to her. I see that uh, Jesse and um, Lisa are on. So hey guys and your whole family. Um, let's see. Jen says, "Who is that beautiful lady behind me on the wall? That's my beautiful wife up there." She's she's with me even though she's not. Hi Brenda, good to see you. Hi Matt. Um, hi Joseph and Kathy and Allison is over there at Jen's house too. Hi Valerie and and Chris. And uh, I think I said hi to Ronnie, but if not, I'm saying it again because he's an awesome guy. Um, let's see. I believe that we have Bob and Marty on. I know that they're watching, and and Jan is on as well. Jan, how did you like it? Did you enjoy being able to to turn it down a bit? I hope you did. <laughs> um, and if I missed anybody, I'm sorry. But uh, I'm just excited that we can still come together and do these things. I love you all, and I'm praying for you all. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for um, just your generosity, what you've been pouring out, what you've been... Um, and we, we, you guys have really risen to the occasion to be a blessing to our community and to those around us. <clears throat> and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been seven years. I'm so blessed to have each and every one of you as a member of my congregation who entrusted me to say that I'm your pastor. And I just want to say thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. Let's see. We got a few more that popped on. Bob says he's watching. Um, Rebecca and Chris are on as, as well. Wow, Chris, you're actually watching this? I'm, I'm excited about that. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, Norma says hi. She's sending our, our love. And Anina says for her dad to stop. He can do whatever he wants. He's a grown man. <laughs> Hallelujah. You also have Hugo and Maurice. Oh, Hugo's on. Praise God. Hey, Hugo, good to see you again. Amaris is on. Good to see you. Blake, I know Blake's on. He's the one that came and rescued the dog uh, as he was barking up a storm on here. And um, anyway, I love you guys. If I missed anybody, I'm sorry. Um, we will be in touch soon. Praise God. Have a wonderful, wonderful uh, week. Uh, love you. Be blessed.